You're listening to Travel Tales with Fergal. Hi, you're very welcome. I'm Fergal O'Keefe and I've got a great episode today for all lovers of travel and food. Tipperary is justifiably renowned worldwide for its great food producers. Clonmel has the unusual distinction of being home to Ireland's first authentic Mexican tortilleria. Our guest is CEO of that company, Phil Merton from Blanco Nino, and he talks to us about his love of Mexico, Mexican food. So my first most obvious question to ask him, why Clonmel? Clonmel certainly is known for its large native population of tortilla makers. And <laughs> so, uh, or, or Spanish speakers, but, um, well, maybe, maybe it will in, a, in another, another 10 years or so. I guess, I guess Blanco Nino initially, the, the idea wasn't to open up a tortilla factory. The original idea was just to make corn tortillas for my own restaurant. Uh, at a restaurant in Dublin. Okay. Still, still uh, own half the business, but I'm no longer operationally involved. And I, uh, I was determined basically to make my own quarter tears. No one else was making them, so I uh, decided basically to go off to Mexico and learn how to make them myself. The the name of your company, Blanco Nino. So that's you, isn't it? Am I right in saying that? Yeah, we just we didn't we just didn't want. I didn't want to pretend we were something we're not. So many companies that they try to manufacture a story about who they are as a as a company and whatnot. And I just it's not something we wanted to do. Like we we put on the back of it, um, at the pack. You've probably seen it. Uh, traditionally Mexican, unexpectedly Irish, uh, which probably sums up uh, quite a lot in it. You know, um, and I know. Look, we're as I said, Clombell is not. You know, known for its large Latino population, but um, I think what we are producing in Clonmel is probably one of the best bloody tortilla chips there is on the planet. And I know that that's a very bold statement, but in in terms of just even the uh, the ingredients we're using and the lengths we've gone to, it's it, it's it always it baffles me having met so many people who make tortilla chips in the U.S how little they actually know about the tortilla chip, you know, um, and just even the, the, the ingredients and the different, the different say impacts of using different types of corn and, and whatnot. We, we have, we've gone to the ends of the second world in terms of trying to just down to like the, um, the granularity of the, the, the massa, the corn dough and the, the steeping time and the temperature of the corn and the type of corn and the, the salt and every little detail. And, but we've been working on it for a long time. You know, we had been working on this product for the last five years. You know, we've been selling the tortillas into, into kind of restaurants and bars um, and hotels across Europe. And thankfully we've gotten a bit of a reputation for being kind of the go-to guys for uh, a quality, you know, premium uh, corn tortilla. And we've, We've, we're always constantly iteratively improving how we do what we do in terms of the product. So um, the tortilla chips we now have are kind of the, the result of kind of five years of, of continuous um, iteration, really. So, no, like, yeah, I know it's probably a bit bold, but in, in terms of every kind of touch point from the, the ingredient itself and, and the packaging and the 
and um, that how we handle and, and make the tortilla chips and the, the three-day process, it's yeah, it's something we're incredibly proud of. I can attest to eating them myself that the, the quality of them is, is way better than anything else I've tasted. I mean, they are spectacular, aren't they? We probably could have done it in a much um, easier, you know, faster, cheaper way. And um, it's probably it's probably down to my slightly obsessive nature uh, of, of sorts. But yeah, like because even the corn and like unfortunately, even in Mexico, you, you have so many of the tortillas in Mexico are now buying in kind of corn flour because it's just easier and they're kind of nearly they're nearly abandoning um the the traditional means of cooking which is the cooking and steeping of the corn overnight in these large vats and then the volcanic stone grinding of the corn um it, it's quite a it's quite a change um and a sad change really because the the difference in quality is just it's it's um both visually you know it, it's visually apparent and it's just that the crunch crunch the crunchability that's word mm-hmm. crunchability yeah, yeah like, the, like the, the it's the overnight steeping of the corn uh, that really gets um that quality of the flavor and develops the flavor in the corn that really corny flavor um again very sophisticated terminology but uh it's the yeah. resting of the uh the tortillas then overnight the following day after uh so you bring actually true so the first day you you cook and steep the corn the next day you um, you basically make the grind the corn and bake the tortillas, and then uh, that night you you rest the tortillas overnight, and then the next day you fry the tortillas. And it's that time in steeping that develops the flavor. It's that time in resting of the tortillas that kind of develops the the texture and allows them to be a bit more crunchy and and whatnot, and um, it reduces also the, the moisture content and just improves the the way they they kind of crisp up. So. There's there's these kind of parts of the process that just take time to do, um, and and you you could like most manufacturers, as I say, knock it out in between twenty and forty minutes. Uh, but they're they're rehydrating corn flour. They've like a continuous uh, line from product in to product out. But I I just think it's it's you know there's a market for that, but it's not where what we want to do. You know, yeah. we, we're we want to do something quite special, and and um, we're pretty determined to. That first trip when you went to Mexico, were you just going out to see the process, or did you think on the way out on that trip that this was what you were going to do? Well, see, I'd been to Mexico uh, prior to this trip uh, to see the trip where I was like, right, I want to go out here and I can learn how to make you know corn tortillas. And um, but I was also so, I, so I'd been been to Mexico, so I was reasonably. Not to say familiar. Mexico is a fucking massive country. You can live there your entire life and not be familiar with it. But it's um, when I was going out to learn tortillas, I was, you know, set in my head as did I do this. Now I didn't really know how I was going to do it. I, I said, look, I'll arrive up in Mexico City uh, and I'll try find someone to get me to bring me to a farm. And my idea was, look, if I go to the very first part of the, the process, being sticking bloody corn in the ground, um, someone. Along, along the way will be able to tell me you know what's the next stage or where they could introduce me to someone else who could introduce me to someone else um because I, I knew i knew that if i tried to map it all out i'd never go anywhere whereas if i just started into it and i got at least the first part of it figured out you know those guys in the farm would be selling their corn to someone else who 
um, would sell to you know to someone else, uh, sell it to, to Molino, who would sell to a tortilla or whatnot. So that was my rationale. But uh, I was I was pretty I was when I was going out to learn how to make corn tortillas, I was going out with the the idea to do that. Um, I basically went from what's called the milpas, which is um, basically corn farms, is the kind of the direct translation. But it's actually quite a lot more than that. Milpas, there, there, it's more of a, a system of agriculture. It's a, it's a permaculture. So actually, what a milpa really is, um, it's where they they plant uh, corn. So a seed of corn, generally with a seed of uh, beans or frijoles, and a seed of squash. And basically, the the corn grows up, the beans grow around the corn stalk, and the uh, the squash keeps kind of the weeds down, so it's it's a it's a, it's a permaculture whereby one plant say takes the nit- nitrogen out of the soil, the other one puts it into the soil. But it dates back pre Aztec times. It's a it's an ancient um, Mesoamerican uh, agricultural system. Anyway, so went went from the milpas to what's called the melinos and learned how they basically turned that uh, corn into a corn dough through a process called nextimization which is basically putting corn in a, in a big bloody pot, cooking it in uh, water and, and a, a calcium solution, uh, which effectively transforms corn from being relatively uh, indigestible and, and nutrient-trapped, nutrient-rich but nutrient-trapped, into a highly nutritious and bioavailable um, food good. And as part of that maximization process as well, after you cook it, you, you basically carve or grind the corn into a corn dough called masa using uh, volcanic stones, which which I learned along the way how to, how to carve. And then from there to what's called the tortillas and learned how they uh, basically turned that corn dough into tortillas and tortilla chips. And kind of having gone through that process from kind of start to I guess to finish in terms of how you you know how you grow corn through to how do you actually make a tortilla I quickly realized that it wasn't going to be a case of um, me just sticking a pot in the corner of the kitchen in the restaurant and hey presto tacos but really to make proper corn tortillas um, in a consistent way in a quality way I'd actually I need to open up a tortilla factory to make tortillas for my my restaurant. How did you end up opening in Tipperary then? Well, I have a lot of I have a lot of family from Tip. Uh, although you know, I'm originally uh, I was born in Orkney County, Dublin. I've uh, got a family farm there. Um, but my mum's from Douala, just outside Cashel. So it's it was it was kind of it wasn't too distant of a of a of a journey. But my uh, <laughs> my original operations uh, director, who who I hired when we were starting the business and brought on board, was actually from Clonmel. And he uh, he spotted the facility that we're, we're now we now call home, and it was it was just perfect. You know, it was a, it was a great uh, location, uh, really. In that Clonmel and Tipperary is quite a, a food you know county, and there's a lot of uh, food manufacturers and whatnot. And um, we we just also just got incredible support from the local the local enterprise office and uh, the local council. We were just very well looked after, um, so. When we were comparing locations in Dublin and comparing locations in uh, in Tipperary, and then there's, there's a few in Kildare as well, uh, Clonmel between the facility, between it being close to where my my operations director was living, and then just the the, the sheer quantity of support and encouragement we got locally, it just became a no brainer. That trip that you went looking at the tortillerias, had you a love of Mexico, or was it? Since then, that you've got your love of Mexico. I love of Mexico. 
I don't. I don't. Uh, like it wasn't like I, I went to the place and I immediately said, this is bloody fantastic, you know, um, and I loved everything about it because there's some very, there's some very sketchy parts of Mexico. Like I, I walked down the street and, in Tijuana once and there was a guy on the other side of the road walking down with a machete in his hand you know and um, and I had to take a double look you know and like that, that's very rare that's very rare and like nothing never nothing happened but you know there is there is um, there is an underbelly of, of um, violence especially in northern Mexico you have to be very cautious and, and careful of but Mexico is the kind of place that the more time you spend there and the more you um, you learn about it you the more you like it I find. And um, so it's not somewhere I went the first time and I said, Fuck, this is where I want to spend every moment of my life. You know, it's not, it wasn't that. It was, it was very much initially, it was very, you could say, uh, superficial in my, me going, this fucking product is fantastic. I love this, these tortillas. The food is amazing, you know? And I just, lo- I just it was an enjoyable experience. And it was something I felt that was missing from from Ireland and something I thought I could be you know I could I could be really happy um following and then it's a case of you know whether it be whether it be going down rabbit holes learning about amaranth and Aztec history and uh, religious ceremony and what about to the the chilies it's all of a sudden you just, you just learn about it's these different things and you learn how um, how complex they were and the, the, the depth of them. And you, you successfully become more interested in them. But it wasn't, uh, I'd be lying if I said that. I, I, I love the place, you know. And there's very few things I do, you know, really, really, really love. What you're saying there just got me thinking about, um, I remember when I was doing my J1 and I was in New York and Greenwich Village going having a meal in a Mexican restaurant. And the flavors and the food, it was so different than anything I tasted before. I kind of call it... Um, you know, it, it's street food, isn't it? It's the real ultimate street food, I would call it. It's often called slow fast food, which is a, obviously an oxymoron. There's a lot of slow cooking involved and a lot of um, product that's kind of prepared in advance, but it's, it can be served out immediately. So you'll have you'll have stuff that's made for days. But I mean, by street food, even if you're in a restaurant, it's very, you use your hands, you know, a lot to eat it, don't you? Yeah, well, well, that that's one that would want one part of it, um, and I, I guess the kind of the use of cutlery now is, is a more recent introduction, really. So it's, uh, but it's it's a, uh, yeah, it, it is a very hands, you know, full body involvement um, when you're when you're consuming it, you know, which which makes you great for sharing and great for you know, having people over and whatnot. Just put it all on the table and let everyone jump in by themselves, but. It is a yeah. It's much more hands involved, but there's there's a lot um, there's a lot to Mexican food as well. There's an awful lot of sophistication, and um, yeah, a lot more sophistication in Mexican food now because it's it's it often had the badge of being you know crap nachos piled with seventeen inches of crap nacho or nacho cheese or cheddar cheese, you know, and that's it's really you know especially when yeah. we're over in places like Germany and. And in um, in Italy, and so Mexican food kind of has that image to a degree still. Now it's coming out of it a lot. Um, it's coming out of it a lot. There is a bit of a an image of Mexican food being um, being cheap and uh, sub substandard and um, and kind of very fast. But like it, it can be fast and incredibly good, and it really is. Like I don't. 
I don't, um, I think that it's, it's very, it's hard to compare it to um, many other cuisines in just how, how nuanced it is and how, how much diversity there is as well. Cause it, it is a country of incredible, incredible diversity. And you go to the level of your sea salt is from Mexico, isn't it? You bring it over. Yeah. So I guess, look, the, the company's name is Blanco Nino, you know, uh, which means, you know, white boy. So like, it's, you know, we didn't want to pretend to be a second generation Mexican family living in Clomel. You know, I, I wanted to highlight the fact uh, myself in particular, it, Slightly, probably vitamin D deficient to a degree, or we didn't want to pretend we're, we were something we're not. And a lot of the kind of bigger brands that I'm aware of in, in the US, you know, they're all they're owned by Anglo, you know, Americans as such, and they're calling themselves Casa Herrera and you know, kind of faux Mexican names. Um, whereas you know, we wanted to highlight that this is who we are. We, we just happen to be fucking obsessed with Mexican food culture and history, and. And we just we just want to do it justice, and we're going to the the ends of the world to do to do it justice. But you know, because of that, um, we we feel a bit of a sense of you know we want to we want to build our our links as much as possible and do as much as possible for kind of the country that we owe you know uh, so much to. And a, a part of that was looking at microfinance schemes uh, and like what they call corporate you know social responsibility schemes. And everything I looked at really just seemed very um, well prone to corruption uh, and prone to just not, you know, not really being a, a sustainable way of of, uh, of working. So um, I decided that look, rather than trying to find um, suitable uh, charities that we could partner with. What I wanted to do, because uh, and I say go back a step, what I wanted to do was I had three objectives uh, around the our, our our say social responsibility part of the business. One was to uh, to aid in the alleviation of poverty in in communities in Mexico. Two was to um, basically assist with the preservation of Mexican food culture and history from one generation to the next, and the other one was biodiversity. Um, and improving the biodiversity of um, the plants and, and so on, because you know, corn. There was over six hundred. Sorry, there was over eight hundred varieties of corn, and most of them now aren't actually in common agricultural practice anymore, being used. So anyway, so that that was kind of the background of, of our wants or our objectives. Um, and what I came across uh, and have been coming across and what we've, we've kind of, we've gone after it with each of our products, uh, but the salt is obviously the first one, um, was to find partners, uh, producers who kind of, who are ticking those boxes through their own efforts. And although we'll pay more for our salt, you know, we, by working with them, um, we're, we're meeting those objectives. So the, the, the salt company is a fantastic, um, a little business in um, Celestune in the Yucatan, and basically they, um, they're they're a non-for-profit organization, they're a community uh, organization, and you see all of the the profit from the sale of the salt goes to uh, the local community uh, who basically harvest the the salt in these um, uh, in the these mangrove areas just off the just off the Yucatan. Uh, but further to that, they're they're preserving kind of the, the traditional uh, practices of salt harvesting and whatnot in the area. They're um, and they're all from the Mayan community, 
uh, and part of Transpassio de Maya's objectives is is to um, assist and, and help in the preservation of the Mayan language, the Mayan traditions, and so on. Because people, I think people often think that the Mayan, you know, people of sorts have disappeared, but they're not. You know, they're still the whole Yucatan area is is still um, is still an area where the Mayan language is still spoken, where traditions are still yeah. are still used. But you know, in in a generation of the internet, you know, uh, where where we're all able to uh, to communicate instantaneously, a lot of that is deteriorating um, because it's easier to just to um, well, speak English and to, especially when English is the, the language of commerce and whatnot, than to learn Mayan that is probably not that much that advantageous to your, you know, your, your income. In the same way that, mm-hmm. you know, Irish has become such a, has been just kind of passed over by so many people in Ireland, you know, they're like, what the hell's the point to learn that bloody language, you know? And it's only when you get a few years down uh, on the clock that you realize how how actually important it is and how important it is to your identity and your 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 sense of um, your sense country. of self and yeah and your country and everything. So, but um, so a lot of what they do is they they help um, or that they fund um, a lot of local community initiatives to teach uh, say language and cultural activities and, and so on. So, but we've we've. We've probably made it as kind of harden ourselves because we've a pretty pretty high ambitions for each you know new product we release. So like with the with the Chilean lime, it's a similar story, and the ancient grain, it's a similar story, and and probably if anything, the 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 salted one is a is a is a little less uh, deep in its in its uh, story in that like the the Chilean lime one or the the ancient grain one is is um, you can do a documentary on it all by itself. Like it's it's uh, it's a combination of blue corn and amaranto or amaranth. And amaranth was, was fucking banned. Uh, excuse me, language banned in Mexico for a long period, um, not because it made you hallucinate or anything fun like that, but um, uh, it was second only in Aztec times to corn in consumption. And um, what happened was the the, the conquistadors, Cortes and the lads, arrived up in Mexico, um, and originally they thought it was brilliant. They loved the stuff; they thought it was fantastic. And then, in uh, December, in our calendar, the Aztecs um, and the, the Mesoamerican people had a had festivals of um, where they would basically grind up amaranth with uh, and mix it with honey and make statues of their deities in from this kind of amaranth honey mixture. And anyways, they, they parade these statues around town and then they get to the end of the parade of sorts and they'd break them apart and consume them. And Cortez and the lads were like, you feckers are, this is blasphemy. You're copying our Catholic, you know, Christian communion tradition, uh, you know, consuming the body of Christ, that whatever. And they banned it. And, you know, I think the only relevant or only in any way near um, relevant or comparative would be if we banned potatoes back in today in Ireland. Um, if we consumed, if people consumed, you know, potato at mass on Sunday, you know, <laughs> uh, and that, yeah. this this wasn't only just a big part of their diet, but it was it was so um, integral to their their culture you know and that's the really fascinating thing about mexico because people talk about world cuisines and they talk about 
you know, whether it be Thai or Indian um, or, you know, Italian. But um, in Mexico, food is not, it's, it's not just a, a functionary thing. It's not just, you know, fucking stick it in your belly and you'll, you know, do you for the day. It's um, like if you look at Amaranth, uh, like so much of their uh, religious practice, uh, their traditional, um, their, even, their, even their cultural events, um, they're, both, they're, they're all quite integrated, uh, whether it be culturally, um, in a religious sense or ceremonial sense or whatnot. You have this kind of this integration of, of, of food um, and, and, and religion more than culture, uh, whereas, you know, culture and food is a big thing in France and Italy. But you, you have deities in, in, um, in Mexico for, say, corn and for, for amaranth. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's so much deeper, you know, as I said, the only, the only equivalents I could think of is if we we're consuming tato at mass on Sunday and, and you're holding it, up a, a cheese and onion. Uh, <laughs> is it still like that? Like, you know, like with festivals now in Mexico, is it still very much part of the culture? Do you think? Or? Um, I think it is in, in places like, um, Oaxaca, um, I think I think it has that there's reverence there for um, for certain foods, but it's not it's it's kind of it's kind of looked down on, unfortunately, um, in so many ways. Now it's it's kind of seems been backward, which I, I it's it's sad really. It's very sad, but it is it's it's been you know because you, you, they look north of the border and they look at the U.S. and in in their lens of the world, the U.S. is what success is. Um, and you know the, the, the U.S. is is yeah. devoid of culture. And like, look, I I, I can love the Americans, the great bunch, <laughs> you know. On most cases, yeah. on an individual basis, you know, they're fantastic people. Um, but uh, it's not a culturally rich place. And you look at somewhere like Mexico, and you're like, my God, turn over any bloody rock here, and there's a story behind it, and there's a there's a there's reverence to the kind of practice and why they do it, and and you know that this is also it's in terms of history. This is these are people the Maya who had mapped out um, the solar system. You know, well over a thousand years before we knew fucking where everything was. You know, so when you look at you know in terms of their history, it's just incredible. Like there's um someone was um, um, telling me recently, and I went on a fucking went down a rabbit hole as I tend to do on occasion, um, looking at different. Uh, bits of history and whatnot, but the 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 Maya had their calendar. And it's a very very famous calendar, and I can't remember the exact uh, date mark uh, of it. But they had they they had figured out the what's called the precession of the equinox, which is the wobble of the planet, uh, and it happens. I think it's I'll be, I'll be guessing numbers, but uh, we're well, not guessing numbers, but. I think it's something like every 16,000 years, there's a, there's a precession of the equinox and it's a slight wobble in the planet. And you're like, you know, the average person lives X many years. You know, how does this society get, figure that stuff out? And it was only recently, maybe, you know, 30 years ago that we realized that this incredibly long calendar that they had, the, uh, the what the actual length of the calendar uh, was, was actually the precession of the equinox. It was this wobble of the planet that affects, you know, um, anyway, so like just, 
in terms of history and culture and it's it's just so far um beyond our 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 understanding and it's it's just fascinates me absolutely fascinates me is it like india or france or italy you know with different regions different types of foods completely completely so um like Oaxaca is probably one of the more famous states. Um, Oaxaca is spelled O-A-X-A-C-A. And yeah, you, you go to a terminal in, in Los Angeles and you're flying down to Oaxaca, Mexico, and it's Oaxaca. Uh, so, but the way it's pronounced is Oaxaca. But Oaxaca is quite famous in Mexico for being incredibly culinarily um, diverse and, and um, just a lot of a lot of different cuisine um but you do you you quite a big big difference then when you go to the Yucatan um even in Chiapas which is just north of Mexico um very different again when you go to northern Mexico like you have a lot of uh, wheat in uh, north northern Mexican cuisine um which is a more recent thing but you have you have a lot of wheat where it's primarily corn which is consumed in kind of central and south america or in central and south of, Mex- south of mexico so it it is there's there's vast diversity um and you you see that when you go to mexican mexico city there's a lot of regional speciality restaurants and even when when i was in um i was in merida in the yucatan there uh, last year um I was going to visit the the salt suppliers and um i was brought to a yucatecan a restaurant and I was just blown away by just how actually different so much of the ingredients were like even the, the avocados were closer to uh, mangoes in texture than they were to the avocados we know you know um, just just a completely different texture absolutely fantastic different usage as well you wouldn't really serve them you wouldn't well you certainly wouldn't make say guacamole out of them, but they're great in, say, salads and whatnot. So there's just, there's so much regional diversity. And, and even if you're going into the large um, uh, markets, the Mercadona's, uh, Mercados, they um, they uh, have an incredible amount of just limes of different size and colorings. You know, there's just different, uh, different uses where, you know, we see one, on the shelf and it's the same one we, we get for everything but there's a massive diversity in size and even just the the sweetness or the acidity of them um that you have over there because it is just it's just such a bountiful country you know it's an, it's an incredible incredible diversity of food and what grows in the, in the in the place and is there um between the big difference between the west coast and the east coast i haven't been to mexico myself so that's something i was wondering um, I think so, in my opinion. Um, I could just even on a on a very um, on just the geography is very different from, say, the Yucatan. Um, it's very different to the West Coast. It's the Oaxaca is quite quite mountainous. Um, say the Yucatan is very flat. Um, there's a lot of what they call cenotes, I think, or cenotes. Um, Words. It's basically you have these these pools. These um, it's all limestone, and you get these pools into the ground, whereby they look kind of like sinkholes. But basically, people go jumping into them, and they've like ropes into them. But great, great day out. But there's a it's a very, very, very different um, geography from the west coast, and then even you know you're going up north, you've got a lot of deserts. 
and it's very hot, arid. Um, but yeah, like the Yucatan would be very tropical. Uh, it's you know it's right beside Guatemala. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's quite that's very very different. Like it's it's a very very diverse uh, geography across Oaxaca. Is there somewhere that you'd recommend, like a, a resort, if there were, like, or do you have a preference, or is there anywhere that you in Mexico that you'd recommend? There's a lot of people go to places like um, Oaxaca, um, and it's it's for good reason. It is very special. It's it's a really really lovely place. There's just something in the air about the place. It's just it's it's very yeah, it's lovely. Um, there's a there's also there's a food market in Oaxaca that's just phenomenal. Um, I, I don't know the history of them. I really must learn or look it up at least. But there's a there's a market or a carnesada market within the food market which is called um, November 20th or Market of November 20th. Now, it's not just open on November 20th. It's open yeah, year-round bar, bar Christmas, I'd imagine. But it's, it's like a butcher's in... Um, that's built onto like a fire pit of sorts and you go through it and you, you pick out your meat and then they go and they, um, from all the different vendors and they go and they cook it and then they bring it down to, and they bring down, um, you can order tortillas or, or whatever you'd like to go with it, um, salsas and so on. And it's just absolutely incredible. It's fairly, it's fairly atmospheric as well. Like I'm, I'm sure it would, probably fail any health and safety test um in anywhere anywhere in europe like you go in and it's just the smoke everywhere um like you you probably you probably stick your hand up in the air and you, it comes down and you probably it's a, it's a shade or two darker uh just from the from the from the quantity of smoke in the air um and but it's just you know if you're there on uh at a kind of a reasonable hour in the afternoon and the sun is going down and you have the sun kind of going through the kind of upper windows, through the smoke into the place. It's just, you just got to sit back and go, this is just incredible, you know, and you've got guys there playing, playing music and everyone's kind of screaming at each other and having a great time. It's just, yeah, it's a really special, really special place. But you find that all over Mexico um, as well. Like there's a lot of that, like they're, they're very, the, the markets are, um, are really really unique. It's, it feels like over there, and they're 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 not you know tourist traps generally. It's where everyone goes and has a has some food. You know, gets their their messages as we say in Tipperary. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's definitely definitely somewhere to go. Um, Mexico City people people kind of give out about it, but I think it, it's bloody great. Um, like it's it's absolutely ginormous you know um it seems like the city's favorite pastime is sitting in traffic but like it's it is a um the diversity of of stuff in that city is just incredible and like one of my my favorite meals i've ever had is from a restaurant in uh, la condesa and i say restaurant it's actually not really a restaurant it's more of a it's a stall within a market uh just off la condesa and it's a it's like a ceviche tostada, um, and I, I go there each time. But I, 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 mean, I have dozens of pictures of the actual tostada because um, it's bloody send you to heaven and back. But it's it's a perfectly cooked corn tostada, perfectly cooked, and they have um, ceviche that's been chopped up on top, and it's just again really acidic, 
beautiful. And then they um, they put like a um, an, a, an oily peanut um, salsa. It's called a matcha salsa. Not to be confused with the Japanese um, green tea, but matcha salsa. And just a right level of kind of heat and nut. And it's just bloody incredible. Um, like it, and the, the gas thing is that they're like two dollars you know is the is the price and it's like 20 20 pesos might be just less than wow. less than two um less than two euros incredible absolutely incredible if you got it in anywhere outside of mexico for the quality of the the corn you're getting and the tostada to the fish and the salsa i'd say you'd be paying 15 you know 15 20 you know euro at least it's just uh, just phenomenal absolutely phenomenal so um, the best of luck with the company. Um, my last question that I ask everybody that I will ask you is if you close your eyes and take four deep breaths, allow yourself to think of your happy place from your travels, where would that be and why? Do you know what? If, it, if I, the gas thing is actually probably, it's probably not Mexico. <laughs> it's probably not Mexico. Uh, I did the, the, the Camino um, Santiago there uh, for the first time uh, not last year, the year before, the year before that. Um, so what's that? That is, it's in 17. And um, I did it with a really good friend of mine from uh, from school. I was planning on doing it by myself and then he, he wanted to come along as well. So I was like, let's go. And we, anyway, we we did it. And um, I got every single day, you know, was a story I could, I could tell you. Um, but, we got into a particular town and it's the town after Rosavias on the Camino. Um, I can't remember the exact name. But anyway, we, we had a with a few drinks as you do, uh, following the following the, the walk of the day and at dinner. And um when we'd arrived into town there was some kind of festival going on and um uh everything set up and there was this kind of uh, kind of hand individual hand clapping in the air type thing it's hard to describe but it was anyway it was a great bloody laugh um but i I remember kind of taking a few minutes and walking up to the the bridge as you come into town it's a tiny little town and the bridge is this really beautiful arch bridge that could probably only maybe fit two people um, side by side as you walk over the bridge and the waters, you know, was rushing underneath and kind of, you know, if you're back or your face to the town and you're back to the forest and, you know, you have looking in the middle of the night, you know, you have the silence of the forest behind you, which we walked through that day. And then you're looking into the town and you've all the various goings on and activity. And there was, there was this kind of firework bull, um, which probably similarly wouldn't be allowed under any health and safety rules in Ireland, whereby they just strapped fireworks to a bull, um, a mechanical bull, and then that someone that someone held, and then they ran around the place firing fireworks at everyone. Uh, so just absolute bedlam and uh, madness, but the very best of it. And uh, so I remember just sitting. Um, I remember just sitting on the uh, the bridge. I I had a, a beer in my hands and back to the forest, face of the town, and just being thinking it was absolutely bliss and just completely calm and chilled out. Um, so and especially when, when I when I spend kind of you know all day every day 
running a million miles an hour with the uh, the business kind of little moments of absolute calm are, are really 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 nice so that's what i think of yeah i think there's something particularly about walking you know when you go into that zone it, it, you know there's nothing like it isn't there for clearing the head no there's not and, and especially you know on, on that particular journey um that trip i turned off my phone um for effectively i think it was like a week um week on a week wow. off or say a week on and then i'd turn uh, turn it on for a day and catch up with all this stuff and then i'd turn it off again so this the that's the most i could i could um achieve in terms of time uh, time away from the business but um I think we're all so switched on, always on at the moment that it's um, you kind of forget, you know, what it's like when you, you have a bit of time without the, the phone on constantly. So, um, but yeah, you know, kind of that that regiment of uh, of especially with the Camino, whereby you get up when it's you know still dark and you're you're walking through the forest, the sun rises. You know, you're eating um, on the on a trail, and then you're, you know, you're arriving into a new town each day. You you see everything for the first time, and you go to bed in that town, and you get up the next day and go somewhere else. I think it's very, it's very, very, um, it's really lovely, really great way of kind of resetting and uh, resetting the clock of sorts. My favorite feeling is at the end of the day in your socks and you put your sandals on things are tired but it's it's from achieving a walk you know it's nothing like it isn't yeah it? absolutely it's um it's it's i could probably do a i should probably do a course on how to uh, mend blisters after my, those two trips um the amount the amount of the amount of um oh yeah the pain the pain that was gone through so yeah when, when you get to the end of the, each day you you do very much feel you've deserved a a little bit of a break. Yeah. I have a friend who did that walk from France into Spain, that, that leg of the Camino with a couple of her girlfriends last summer. And she described the late afternoon in the village. She said it was comparable to après ski, that everybody kind of arrived into town. She said the pubs, the places would be packed, you know, it was buzzing. I know, it's brilliant. Yeah, well, like it's, you know, look, I'm, I wouldn't be, uh, be quite far from being the... Uh, a terribly religious person, but um, like I didn't do it for that reason. And um, a lot, I think a lot of people who mightn't be a, you know, terribly enthusiastic about about it as a concept, get kind of put off by the idea of thinking that they're going to have Ned Flanders following them around for fucking a few weeks, you know, uh, on on this thing. And it's it's not the case, you know. Everyone, um, you don't you don't have. Surely there's people there who do it for different reasons, but you don't have. Um, that kind of sense to it. At least I didn't feel like we did anyway. And, um, you know, there's there things there to participate in if you want, but by no means is this, is this compulsory or, or seen as being, you know, absolutely required as part of the, as part of the trip. So, um, no, I, I can think of many, many moments, um, on that particular trip that, um, probably some of the better, better times I've had over the last few years you know so and uh, no, I'd recommend it to everyone yeah I'm not particularly religious either but I have to say that anytime I do go on walks like those long walks you know you when you feel close to nature you know it is kind of a religious experience I, I find anyway yeah yeah like uh, you, you can put whatever word you want on it but it, it's it's a meaningful yeah. yeah like I remember one of the most atmospheric things I've ever experienced was um was one of the 
one of the days uh, again on the on actually the Camino, we had um, we 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 kind of collected people along the way, kind of joined the kind of you know was walking each day, and we had a pile of these Italians which were, who were great crack, and um, a few of the girls who were with us. Um, were incredibly diligent about where we should be staying. And I'm glad someone did some organizing because we weren't really. Um, we kind of tend to just stop where we stopped and that was it. And if there was somewhere that happened to have a bed, but in close proximity, we were happy out. So, but they, they picked this particular place, which was a, it was an old uh, monastery. And it was what's called a donativo, whereby you kind of do, pay as you please, basically. But we, were, we arrived into these, these monks and, um, they greet you with a big bloody hug and they, they, um, they show you where you're sleeping. Where you're sleeping is basically, it's a, it's a mass on the ground. It's like it's, it's not going to be on any, um, any five star hotel listing. But, um, but anyway, so you're, you're shown, you're shown where you're sleeping, which is basically a big room with mats. And then you're told, look, everyone has to contribute to make dinner. Everyone has to chip in. So then you have all of these, you know, strange people who you, how you haven't met before, some you've met before, who are making dinner together. And then uh, they go around and they basically tell that you get, get these people to sing and whatnot. Um, I, I didn't. I have no ability. I've absolutely toned it. Um, and uh, anyway, after dinner, they, they said, you know, everyone needed to do this. Um, they didn't call it mass. They called it something. I can't remember what they called it. But basically, uh, it's where... Um, they bring you into this kind of little area, which is at the top of the church, uh, or the back of the church at the top. When you walk into like a, a, a into a church and you walk up the aisle and you look behind you where the choir usually is, it's that kind of area there. Except it was, it was, it was used not for a choir but for um, where the the priests would meet and to congregate and whatnot. So you had these chairs that were that were built into the wall. These really ornate chairs that were built into the wall. But the entire thing was completely uh, dark and, and black. Um, um, but for the end of the end of the, um, the down below, at the end of the aisle, at the top of the church, where the altar is, altar is the word I was looking for, was covered in candles. So everything is pitch black for the, but for this kind of glimmer of kind of candles down the very end of this vast church. And um, anyway, they, they bring everyone in at this kind of this area up above, and then they, they actually lit candles around this kind of center piece. I think it was, it was kind of where they they would. Um, I'm not sure what they would do, but it was where they would put books and whatnot. But the, the two the two monks uh, started singing, knocking on heaven's door, <laughs> and and. Um, and then they asked people to go around to kind of share share experiences and whatnot of what they were they were happy for and grateful for and whatnot. But it was one of the one of the best. Like my God, like the the, the goosebumps on the back of your neck, and um, this experience it was just phenomenal. Again, I'm not a religious person, far from it. But like there is moments like that that would you know that kind of um, would question certain certain uh, viewpoints and perspectives, but. Um, but yeah, incredible. I would ask if you could please subscribe to Apple Podcast so a new episode will appear in your library every week. I would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review as it helps others to discover this podcast. 
find out who's on every Tuesday, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Travel Tales with Fergal. Stay safe and keep dreaming of future travels. Travel Tales with Fergal.